an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and uh, we've got Bob Savage here as well. Yes, testing positive for the truth. There you go, testing positive for the truth. I love it. Um, you know, and speaking of the truth, I, I gotta say, I was just listening to uh, Cuomo uh, just a few minutes before the show, and I, I heard him say something that uh that is just straight up simply not true uh he said new york state as state government is frugal and we don't spend a lot <laughs> well you know listen you know, people are upset and they're they're concerned about what's going on and they're scared so everybody needs a laugh once in a while yeah something i i don't know i and and it's it's interesting over the last uh probably day and a half now I've seen his updates go from where where they weren't very political. Um, now the politics is really starting to ramp up uh, with what's going on, which makes me wonder if if now we're we're getting to towards uh, if if the end of this is in sight because now they've got time for politics again. Well, give me an example. What uh, polit how how's he putting a political spin on it that you've noticed? Uh, well, well, certainly just uh, starting to, to push the budget things, starting to draw lines between political divides again, um, talking about these things, whereas before we were all Americans, we were all New Yorkers, now it's about Democrats and Republicans again. Um, I, so once I see that kind of political banter start rolling in again, uh, I'm starting to wonder if if maybe there's an end in sight to all this because now apparently it's not so serious that we can't be Americans again. Now we've got to be uh, Democrats and Republicans again. Right. Well, we can certainly all hope that uh, the you know that the light at the end of the tunnel is what we're seeing. I, I, I if you look at this thing on a global basis, you look at the hockey stick kind of growth of the cases. Uh, we're, we're pretty much tracking what happened with, you know, South Korea. I think we're maybe two weeks behind them in terms of timing. But what happens is you see this radical uptick in the number of cases. I think in large measure in the United States, that's because of testing. So as the testing ramps up, you, of course, discover more cases. Then there's a leveling off. And I think that's what you're going to start to see. Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely. I I think that um, that's definitely been discussion for a while. You know, it, there's some states that are like, hey, we have like no no infected people, but they're not actually doing tests. So how do they know well, if they right. have infected that's exactly people right. or not? Um, it, you know, to to the credit of New York State, we have been doing a lot of testing, so our numbers are probably. Um, much more accurate than most. I think there's a lot of states that clear, like they just have no idea. 
Well, I think testing is the express lane back to normalcy, to be honest with you. It, the, the real key here is to get as many people tested as possible. That's what I believe. As soon as you're tested negative, which will be the case in most cases, you go back to work. Just go back yeah. and let's, let's yeah. open things back up again and uh, try to get life back to normal. There's an argument that was made somewhere that uh, keeping everybody cooped up inside contributes to the transmission of the virus. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that, but I, I definitely uh, could imagine somebody saying that, uh, you know, it could contribute to depression and sanity and, and a whole bunch of other uh, other things like that. Um, do they say specifically what the thought was of staying home would would contribute the uh, the spread? Well, I think that staying home makes sense until we get people tested. And then if we can start to ramp up testing to a large degree, you know, we, we try to pick some people who, you know, have have important jobs where they have interface with the public, maybe governmental jobs, people with DMVs, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, we test them, make sure they're okay, then we can start opening things back up again. Uh, but um, when everybody's all cooped up inside, first of all, ultraviolet light is an enemy of the coronavirus. Also, the coronavirus likes to propagate in a certain humidity range, which is typical of what you find inside an American home in the winter. When you get outside, you're in a different humidity range, different temperature range. And of course, this is the time of year when we're starting to see some sunlight uh, today being an example of that. That combats coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that um, if people have appropriate you know, sanitary safeguards in place, you're, you're probably going to be okay. I'll give um, my workplace as an example, because we, we are an essential business. Um, we're trying to interact with people as little as we possibly can, but we can't avoid it. Um, and, and we've got a pretty clear process. You know, when you, you walk into the office, um, you have to have already had a face mask on. Uh, we we're fortunate that uh, we did have a few face masks, not many, but but enough that all the staff have at least one. Um, so you enter the office, you're wearing a face mask. First thing you do, you do a hand sanitization. Then from there, the next thing you do is you put on a pair of gloves. So you're sanitized before you even touch the glove box. Um, and then once your gloves are on, you know, you go and sanitize anything you touched on the way in. And before you leave, you, you wipe everything down once again to make sure it's good, uh, before you exit and, and dispose of those gloves. Um, I, I think a lot of businesses could get by even those that are deemed non-essential with a similar process. Um, we really wanted to add in like a daily temperature check on all the employees, but we couldn't find thermometers anywhere to purchase, um, with the exception of some really shady looking ones that was pretty questionable whether or not they're legitimate temperature checkers or not. Yeah, if it's a salad spinner and temperature checker, you generally speaking can't rely on that very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it comes with a you know like a little bottle opener attached to it or something, it's <laughs> you know, Swiss perfect. Swiss Army uh, temperature checkers. No, if it's got a corkscrew, you know, a bottle opener. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I I thought it was pretty interesting hearing Cuomo say that uh, we're a very frugal state and we don't spend much money. Uh, when we're sitting here with a four to six billion dollar deficit, and that was before uh, any of this coronavirus started, and they've said day by day we are losing millions and millions in tax revenue um, because of this. So I, I just it, like 
can't imagine where New York State intends to balance a budget because of this um, and how we could ever make that claim um, that that we're a frugal state because we've ran a deficit for I don't know how many years. Makes you wonder about uh, Cuomo's political instincts sometimes because he, you know, f- to say something like that, even for a leftist, which is what he is, to say something that's going to openly, you know, is going to cause him to be totally vulnerable to ridicule. It's it's an indefensible thing to say. It's like something Joe Biden would say. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of wonder if he thinks that over the last week he's just built so much trust with the people in New York with how he's handled the virus that they're just going to, you know, kind of eat from his hand and believe whatever words he says. Um, but I'll be honest, I'm, I'm very concerned because I, I don't know what this is going to do for things like property tax, school tax, income tax, uh, sales tax in New York. Like we, we were already running a deficit. Um, what, what is this going to do in terms of taxes in New York? Well, it'll be, it'll be disastrous. It'll be disastrous. And the, yeah, this mirrors what we're seeing at the federal level where we're talking about somewhere between two and $6 trillion now being voted on. Uh, without proper procedure, by the way, in Congress. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that's got me very, very concerned. And I haven't read the bill yet, um, but from I got news for Andrew. Summaries. A lot of lawmakers have not read the thing yet. They have, yeah. all they've been able to do is get these abridged, you know, truncated versions of the thing, and they don't even know what they're reading. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, I mean, why is a stimulus bill? A thousand plus pages long you know and, and why is it buried so deep in there that like there's a lot of questions the american people should be asking right now um and and top among those is uh can we get a very clear and concise bill that's 10 pages or less let's just start with that well um, you, you, you have to have con- that- congress would have to be the ones drafting it then as opposed to lobbyists which is why it's yeah. a thousand pages long yeah yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm, I've had a couple of people reach out to me asking me, uh, what do I think about the bill? And I'll be honest with you guys, I haven't got a chance to see it or read it yet. Um, but I'll tell you what my gut tells me. And that is, if it's coming from big government, uh, it's probably not good for the average Joe. And if it's coming from big government and it's going to make government bigger, it's absolutely not good for us. All right, guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about ballot access in New York State. We'll be back in a moment. It's Radio Free New York. You're listening to Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. Um, you know, a couple days ago, I, I sent out a message on Facebook, on the Facebook page, and just said, hey, for those of you who are listening to the show, um, I know we're talking a lot about coronavirus because it's the reality that we're living today, um, whether that's uh, some people being impacted medically, some people, uh, probably all of us actually being impacted financially, um, businesses either closing down or reducing the number of employees, Uh, People at home being worried about their jobs, worried about supplies they might be able to get from the store. Um, But I said, you know, what what else do you guys want to hear about? Because we don't want the whole show to be coronavirus every day. And a surprising number of people actually got back to me and said they were interested in understanding 
um, how candidates get on the ballot in New York. Um, one person wanted to know about the role of political committees locally in your county. Um, so, so that's what we're going to talk about today. I've got a, a couple things I'm going to go over with you guys. Uh, first being, how do you get on the ballot in New York? And um, today being Wednesday, normally Wednesday is our White House Wednesday, where we talk about national issues, bring on um, presidential candidates for interview. And uh, so we can kind of tie this in a little bit because we'll talk about how the president can get on the ballot as well, presidential candidates, which is a little bit different um, than, than typical elections. And, and then I will wrap up the discussion later in the show talking about campaign finance um, and some of the ballot access changes that Cuomo's administration tried to make, and thankfully it got shot down in court. Um, so, so there you go. I've, I've outlined the show for you guys. Um, so first topic is, you know, getting on the ballot in New York State. Um, this is going to vary for you. Uh, county by county in the state because each county has its own board of elections. There's there's various rules. Um, it's going to be based on number of registered voters and enrolled voters into your party. Um, and then statewide elections are different as well. So we'll, we'll kind of talk about these things a little differently. Um, we'll start with, with just a, a local election. Maybe it's a town council seat. Um, maybe it's a county legislative seat, um, you'll be able to go to your board of elections and find out how many petitions and signatures you need to get on your ballot. In New York State, to get your name on the ballot, you actually have to go around and collect signatures of people registered to the party um, whose ballot line you want to get on. And we'll talk about that a little bit, too, because we have fusion voting in New York, which means you can be on multiple party lines. It's um, it's not unique to New York, but I think there's only four to six other states that do it. So it is kind of a, a different thing. Um, but say, say you want to run for city council um, and you whatever party you're registered to, you want to run for that seat. Um, you get what's called a designating petition. And um, you, you go ahead, you fill it out, you put your name and address on there as the candidate, and you go around to other people registered to vote in your same party. So we'll just say, uh, say you're registered Republican, um, you would go and get petitions from other registered Republicans in the district that you're running for. If you were a Democrat, you can't get Republican signatures. You got to get Democrat signatures. Um, if you're a libertarian, you got to get libertarian signatures and, and so on. Um, now, because of that, it's based on a percentage of the registered voters. So in Monroe County, for example, if you're running a countywide election um, or, or let's say let's say you're running in the city, there are a lot more registered Democrats in the city of Rochester than there are Republicans and libertarians. So the Democrat candidates would actually have to get more signatures than, say, the Republicans and the Libertarians um, because it's based on percentage. Now, there's usually a cap. It might be 1,500 signatures or 2,000 or 2,500. Um, all that information you would get from your local board of elections. Um, but essentially, what you have to do as a candidate is there's no special cool like pay a fee do some sort of legal filing, you actually have to go around and find voters who are willing to support you to put your name on the ballot. Um, so, so that's really the, the first step 
and and I want to kind of emphasize to people because this is something that has happened a bit in New York and we need to fix and address it. Um, people look at political parties as an exclusive club and you can't run without permission of the party or you need to go um, ask if it's okay and, and that sort of thing. Um, that's not true. That's how people are acting. That's how people want you to think about it. Um, but if you're a registered voter, you can run for office. You, you don't have to ask a party chairperson for permission. Um, you can go get your signatures, submit them to Board of Elections, and get your name on the ballot, um, which I think is really, really important to know because I've heard from so many people over the years that say, yeah, you know, I wanted to run, but I talked to the party. They told me it's not my turn yet. I should wait. Um, and don't get me wrong, there, there is some validity to a party suggesting somebody who's interested in running for office to work on a couple campaigns first, to get that experience, to understand how a campaign runs, how it operates, what it means to be a candidate. Um, those are good things. However, if, if you're being told not to run for other things like the party boss just doesn't agree with you or they're doing shady stuff and you know it, um, there's really nothing to prevent you from going and collecting your signatures and getting your name on the ballot and running. What I've heard has happened in the past from political parties, if, if they want to block you, the, the party will support another candidate and run a primary against you. Uh, that's actually not a bad thing. That's a great thing because that means people have more choice. You guys will get to reach more voters. Um, some candidates don't like it because it certainly costs them more resources, but I think um, primaries specifically are actually a really good thing so that just one person doesn't get the nomination by default. Um, so hopefully, hopefully I, I started to explain that um, well to you. I, I will tell you about the committees um, a little bit later, but before we talk about committees and, and how candidates get supported by parties, because that's just how you get on the ballot, um, I do want to talk about cross endorsements, fusion candidates, and Wilson Pakula forms. Um, so as I said, New York State is kind of a, a different state than most, where if you are running as a libertarian candidate, um, you could also have the conservative endorsement. You could have the Democrat endorsement. You could have the Republican endorsement and vice versa. Any of these can happen. Um, I think there's a sheriff in one of the Southern counties that was endorsed by both the Democrats and the Republicans, um, which, which is a little interesting, but uh, it, it did happen. And people probably wonder, well, how is that possible? Um, they still had to collect the signatures. But what you can do is you can go to the party, usually the county chairperson, um, and say, hey, I am not registered to your party. However, I believe I can represent the values of your party. Um, and I think that you should allow me to be on your ballot line. And um, usually there's a vetting committee that sits down and goes to the values of the candidates and decides whether or not um that candidate will represent their values or in the case of some other parties apparently if you make a big enough donation they give it to you i don't know if that's true or not i've heard that many times from many candidates um so with that being said the party chair um then has to sign a special form called a wilson pakula form 
that essentially says um, this person, although they're not registered to vote as as our party, um, we are going to allow them to use our ballot line anyways. Now, that candidate still has to collect signatures from that party, um, which means if you collected signatures for the Republican Party and you're going to be on the conservative line as well, you would collect your Republican signatures, your conservative signatures, maybe independence signatures and whatever else. And when you submit them, you need that signed Wilson Pakula form as well to be allowed to be on there. Uh, does that make make sense, Bob? Did I? Uh, yeah. How's that sound? Yeah, it's uh, certainly one hundred and one. Yeah, a lot yeah, of de- no, a lot absolutely. of detail. We should have warned everybody to start taking notes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, luckily they can go back and they can replay this as many times as they need. This and, is true. Uh, you know, catch the podcast. So, so are you getting fine. you're getting a lot of uh, interest in people running? Then uh, people are wanting to step forward and. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are and it's it's a little unfortunate because the deadline is actually passed so i'm hoping that everybody who's listening to this right now is hearing okay so this is the process and i'm hoping that you'll find a campaign to support this year because the deadline to submit these petitions was last week um so with that being said some of that is because of the coronavirus you know cuomo changed the deadlines um, because they didn't want people going out to people's homes and asking for signatures while this is going on. Um, but, but this is something you can still engage in, you can still participate in, you can still help promote a campaign and, and learn along the way. So um, that's, that's definitely what I encourage you guys to do. We are going to take a break here. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about the role that your local committee plays in this because it's a lot more than just a Wilson Kukula form. We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're talking about how to get on the ballot in New York. I've got uh, quite a few requests about this. Um, so we're just kind of walking you guys through. Like Bob said, it's definitely kind of like a 101 level class here. Um, but it, it seems that people are interested because I see some questions on the live stream. We had a caller call in over the break um, asking some additional questions. So I'm, I'm glad to hear people are interested in this. Um, one of the questions asked by Garrett on the live stream is, um, what if you're a candidate in another party and you want to primary somebody in their party, um, but you can't get a Wilson Pakula form? So, so the, the example could be, um, say you're a conservative and you think that you're the best candidate for the job. Um, maybe you want a primary on the libertarian line, or maybe you want a primary on the Republican line. Um, but they have said, no, we don't think you align with our values. Uh, we are not going to sign a Wilson Pakula form for you. We're going to run our own candidate. Um, there is such a thing as an opportunity to ballot that you could file, um, which essentially opens up 
the primary to whatever candidate is already on the ballot and a write-in option. What's an opportunity uh, to ballot? Is that like a form that you fill out or something? Or? Yeah, I think it's a form that essentially gets filled out, and I don't think you have to be registered to the party to fill it out. Um, or if it does require a party person to fill it out, you could just find somebody willing to fill it out. Um, and what this form essentially does is it creates a primary for that race uh, where the name of the candidate that the party has maybe supported or designated or collected petitions that's registered to the party, their names are automatically on there. Um, but then there's an open spot for a write-in. And, and that's it. So then you as as this kind of like uh, this candidate who thinks that you could win this primary, I got to be honest, I don't know that it's ever been done successfully, just to, just to let you guys all know. Um, I have not heard of and am not aware of an opportunity to ballot campaign being successful. Uh, maybe somebody who's listening to the show could either call in or send me a message letting me know if they know of one. Uh, but essentially, you've got to reach all of those primary voters and say, um, I need you to go and vote in this primary, and I need you not to vote for the name on the ballot, but instead write my name in in the write-in section. Um, that, that is the only way that I'm aware of that you could do that without a Wilson Pakula form, and I don't know that it has ever been successful. Um, however, it's it's an option, and if somebody was really ambitious and maybe there was a low number of voters in the area or very poor voter turnout, um, it, I guess it's technically possible. Somebody could do that. Um, the other question that came in, this is the call that came in over the break from a caller. They, they wanted to know how Board of Elections is set up. And this is actually um, interesting. I don't know how other states do it, but the way it works in New York State is Board of Elections is actually set up based on the gubernatorial election every four years. And it's actually based on the number of votes each party receives in the gubernatorial election. Um, so what happens is the top two vote getters in the gubernatorial election, the top two party vote getters, um, make up board of elections. So you'll see if you go to the Monroe County Board of Elections, there's a Republican side and a Democrat side, um, and you can go to either of those for help. They're not there to help their own parties specifically. So you could go to the Republican side as somebody who's in another um, party. You could go to the Democrat side as somebody who's in another party. Um, but essentially, because the Democrats got the most votes in the last gubernatorial election and the Republicans got the second most, they, they both get representation in Board of Elections. Um, all the other parties, sorry doesn't doesn't happen doesn't work that way uh you got to get more votes and beat one of those two to take over board of elections and have your party have a spot in board of elections um so for that caller um they, they didn't want to come on air but they did want to ask the question um so that that's how that works and i don't know bob i don't know if you know how it works in other states if it's similar or different no actually i have no idea i <laughs> i'm not a political animal like you are I'm just a radio guy, uh, and I comment on politics like all of us love to do, but uh, I don't know about the mechanics of it. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea how it works in other states. I know to get on the ballot in other states, um, some states there's no petitioning. You just pay a fee to the party, whatever that is, and that's how you get on the ballot. Um, ah, the good and, old time-tested write-a-check. 
That, that, yeah, yeah. That tends yep. to work in a lot of situations. Yeah, and and ironically, a lot of people oppose the the approach we have in New York, where you go out and get the petitions. They're like, we would rather just write a check. Um, but my opinion is, I I actually think the petitioning process is a good process because you, as the candidate in your team, is actually out there collecting signatures, talking to the people that would theoretically be voting for you. You know what we're going to do here, uh, Andrew? I think we're going to go to break a little bit early because we're starting to get a few issues with your internet connection. It's starting oh, to, no. starting to glitch all over the place. So uh, we're going to go to break a little bit early uh, in this half hour on Radio Free New York, and we're going to see if we can get uh, Andrew to deposit uh, 25 cents for, you know, 17, 18 more minutes of content here on Radio Free New York. Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and I hope my internet is behaving. Sounds a little All bit better. Right. I, uh, we'll, I'll I'll, uh, I'll advise you as we go here. I think it, I don't know what you did, but it seems better now. Uh, well, I didn't do anything, so hopefully it stays. If not, I'll I'll have to call in or something like that. Um, so what what we're talking about, guys? We're we're just talking about how you get on the ballot, um, how board of elections is uh, you know set up in New York State, and one of the things that somebody asked about is what is the role of committees. Um, in your county, you know, and in your town in terms of candidates getting their name on the ballot, getting support, how how's that work was the purpose. Um, so if, if you live in a town, you might have a town Republican committee, a town Democrat committee, a town Libertarian committee, uh, maybe a conservative committee. Um, I don't know that there's any like town uh, Green Party or independence committees. I think they're mostly uh, going to be on the county level. Um, but essentially, the purpose of those committees, which, by the way, technically to get on those committees, you actually have to petition to get on those committees as well. And usually there's a limit to how many people can represent your voter district. And if there's more people petitioning, you can actually have a, a primary to be on your political committee in your county or in your town if enough people petition for it. Um, we actually have that in the city of Rochester for the Democratic Party. They have people that compete for the seats. I believe the limit is um, two committee people per election district. There's a lot of Democrats in the city, so they can actually petition and primary each other for a spot on their political committee. Um, so what, what does that mean exactly? Like, what, what is the purpose of these committees? These committees exist to support candidates and grow the party. So once, once you get on a committee, you can start pushing for certain policy on your committee. And when candidates come in that want the committee's support, um, say that there is going to be a primary. Say your committee is looking at three or four candidates. They all want to run for that city council seat. They want to run for that county ledge seat. Um, by being a person on the committee, you have a say in which candidate gets the support of the committee. And by support, that is, you know, officially reaching out to voters saying, hey, we're the committee for this party that you're registered to this is the candidate that we're supporting in this primary it could be them spending money um it, it could be any any number of those things that the committee does to support a candidate um whether in the general election or or in the primary 
Uh, sounds like we've got a caller on the line. Yes, we do. Joe from Belfast. Always, uh, always like talking to our friends down in Allegheny County. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? We're doing well. Um, one thing he needs to understand is in the towns, there may be vacancies for committee men, and the Board of Elections will tell you where they are, and all you have to do to pursue that is to be a member of the party you're trying to get a, get to be a committee man for. The yes. committee will yeah, vote you absolutely. in, but you don't necessarily have to follow that route. In some places, you can get proxied in. Yeah, no, that's that's totally true. So if your committee has vacancies, um, there are ways to get in without having to do petitioning and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for that, Joe. That's actually a very good point. Another thing you might want to cover is the poll workers. There's always a shortage of poll workers. Yeah, yeah. So so in, in terms of the poll workers, um, not only do you get paid as a poll worker, but there's supposed to be an equal number. We talked about how Democrats and Republicans, because they were the top two vote getters in the state, um, when you run the polls, there's supposed to be an equal number of Democrats and Republicans at the polls managing the polls. And every single year I hear from the people who are running the polls that they do not have enough people to properly balance out the polls um, and and to manage them. So, so how do you go? They, get, often have, they often don't have enough people just to do it. So how, how do you go about this, uh, Joe and Andrew? Do you, do you go to the Board of Elections and apply? Um, no, you go to the Board of Elections and they'll fill you in on how to do this all. Well, okay. the, the poll takers, yeah, you go to the Board of Elections and they train you on how to do this. Yeah, and I, I think it pays pretty well too. I think last year it was like seventeen or eighteen dollars an hour. Um, but yeah, you can go to your board of elections. Hey, I'm registered as this. Un unfortunately, you have to be registered either Republican or Democrat, um, and and they'll kind of get you set up. You gotta go through training. You'll get assigned a poll site, um, and and you'll learn how to help people. You know, get set up so they can do their voting. And like Joe said, every year there's there's a shortage. I hear about it every single year. Also, if your town has caucuses, you can go and watch the caucus, even if you're not a member of that party. If you're vote, running for an office, you can go to that caucus for the other party and try to get support. In a small town, well, for example, the Republican Party here supported the woman for town supervisor because she wanted it. And we said there's no problem with that. We all know her. So she got the support of the Republicans, even though she, she's a Democrat. And the first question we ask her is, why are you a Democrat? <laughs> well, that, but there's a lot of that that happens. A lot of, in, in local politics, uh, th there's a lot of jump on the fence party-wise. Right. It's a matter of whether the person's qualified or not. Yeah, and, and, and we see that very often, too, even in the Libertarian Party, when candidates uh, come to us and, and they say, hey, we want your endorsement. We go, well, you know, let's talk about your values. Let's talk about uh, what you believe in. How, how, do you, how would you run government? And we ask them a, a number of questions, and we try to dig deep in to see where, where do their policies and, and their mindset really lie. And there's many times where we say, so why are you registered to this party? Or, 
you know, that, that sort of thing. And very often it, it comes down to, well, you know, my parents were in this party, so now I am, or I've always been in this party. And um, it, it is very interesting. Let's go to Jim in Pittsburgh uh, is on the line. Uh, hi, Jim. Hey, Robert. How are you guys? Today? We're doing well. Good. Listen, I worked the polls a couple of years ago, and, um, you know, you get out like 180 bucks for the day. Um, but the thing of it is, is you get there at 4.30 in the morning, and then you uh, and then you work all day. They give you a couple 20-minute breaks. Now, and you get done at about 11 o'clock at night. So you're there from, you know, 4.30 to, uh, to 11 p.m. night, let Anywhere from 9.30, depending on how busy, you got to count everything up and, and get everything packed away, which is, uh, you know, an hour or so afterwards. But, you know, it, I, I told him, I said, I would I would volunteer all the time, but I don't mind working. But sitting around all day that long, I said, you guys, if you split the shifts up, you get a lot more people, but they don't want to do that. Is that Jim, is that true That's of every – is, yeah, is that true in every town, is it, or is that just in Pittsburgh? Yep. Well, it's Monroe County. You know, you go to Monroe County, you take a class, you know, which is, I think it's two days, if I remember right. You know, you go through the training and uh, and all that. And then uh, they never told me I was going to get paid. I didn't know I was going to get paid. You know, I didn't find out I was going to get paid till the day I went to the poll. But uh, I went to the Burgundy Basin Inn. You know, I lived not far from there. But it was, uh, you know, it was a long day. And you only get, they give you, you know, you're not prepared. You didn't bring anything to eat. I live up the road, not far, on the other side of the canal there, and uh, they give you a 20-minute break. You know, uh, twice a day, I think, is all it is. I mean, so, you know, you're working basically 24 hours, and uh, and you get uh, two 20-minute breaks. Not even time to go over to Tom Walls and get a burger and get back. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Now, Jim, do you yeah. think that's because um, because they have a shortage of workers, or is that just the, the policy yeah, of how it's running? why they have a shortage of workers. Sure. You know, Okay. You know, I would do it every time. I, you know, I wanted to. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to make sure there wasn't any cheating going on. And um, you know, I I didn't mind. You know, it was nice to find out. And this where this poll was. That you know everybody did everything the way they were supposed to. But you know, they would have a lot more people. You, you go there, and I'm you know I'm I'm going to say everyone there is in their seventies and eighties because that's all they can get. You know, people have to work for a living. I mean, I'm, I sell real estate, so I could take the day off. I could arrange my schedule, but, um, you know, a lot of people can't do that. But, you know, yeah. if they wanted to give me an eight-hour shift and break it down, you know, I, I think they would get inundated with people. But they won't do it. The lady told me they won't do it. So they called me the next year and said, you're going to go through it. And I said, you know what? I said, if you guys cut the time down, you'll have me. I'll be there every, every time. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You know, I don't know if that's a, a law or if that's like a, a county policy. Maybe it's in the charter um, or, or maybe it even comes from the state. I don't know. This is the first time I've heard this, um, but it's it's something I'll definitely, uh, you know, check with Board of Elections because that that does seem like a really long time to be working uh especially with with so few breaks. So I could I could see why it's hard to get people to do that. Andrew, it's not really hard. It's excruciating. You know, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I worked, uh, you know, two days without sleeping. But you're outside working. It's different. You're talking about yeah. you're indoors all day, and you're sitting all day, walking around. It's quiet. You know, uh, unfortunately, in New York State, nobody shows up to vote. 
and uh, you know you you wait for people to show up. This was uh, when Hillary was running in the primary. I forget what year that was. You know, in the early uh, 2000 teens there, I think 12 or 14, whatever it was. But um, you know, it's 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 pretty painful to sit inside all day, all all morning, all night. You know, all day, all night. No music, no nothing. Just uh, you know, you're sitting there with four walls and a couple of machines, and uh, you get a couple hundred people to come through. Yeah. All day. So yeah, and I tell you I, what, where I where I lived uh, be, before I moved to where I am now, I would usually vote at the end of the night. That way, I saw what number I was, and it was pretty consistent. You know, I'd go and vote like you know, a little before nine p.m. And I would be person number 11, person number 16, you know, and, and for the polls to be open all day long for less than 20 people to come through has got to be uh, really disheartening to anybody working the polls. Just It's just awful. I mean, it's, it's pitiful. It really is pitiful. And it's, it's why we have the government in New York that we have. It, 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 it has stagnated. Our, our empire state is gone, you know. Yeah. And we're still here fighting for it, but my lord, I don't know what we're going to do. These people are—they're just—they're uh, running us into the ground. But yeah, nobody yeah. votes. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your call, um, guys. There's, there is one last thing I want to cover for you guys before the end of today's show, and that is uh, the campaign finance changes that were made um, illegally, technically. Uh, in New York State, so you guys might remember us talking about uh, Cuomo wanted the, the $100 million public uh, campaign financing. You remember that, Bob? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? Luckily, uh, that got ruled as, uh, I think it was called like outside of legislative order or, or legislative overreach or something like that, creating that committee that made changes where you know, us as New Yorkers, our tax dollars would go towards funding people's campaigns uh, that that maybe totally oppose your views. Yeah, terrible um, idea. Yeah, no, absolutely terrible. Take it took away your freedom of association, which is a First Amendment right, and also was really set up to hurt small parties like the Libertarian Party, the Conservative Party, the Green, the Independents, um, by changing their ability to get ballot access. Uh, pretty tremendously from getting, you know, 50,000 votes every gubernatorial election to an upwards of 170,000 votes, uh, not just every gubernatorial election, but every two years. Um, so, so that got overturned, I think, about a week and a half ago, which was just really, really good news because that means uh, people, re you know, get to retain their ability to have a voice even if they're a minority. Um, and I think that that's just like a really, really important thing to get out there. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me here on Radio Free New York. Uh, We're going to be back same time, same place tomorrow. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll see you then.